Father in heaven, Lord, last week you reminded us of the joy that comes from knowing you, the joy that comes only from you, and how that joy can change our perspective, can even change the trajectory of our lives, and the fulfillment that comes with that. Lord, I pray that you will continue to speak to us, that you will continue to guide us as we study the book of Philippians, Father. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So almost 40 years after the Israelites left Egypt, we find Moses in Moab, and he is talking to his people. He is actually uh, giving his last lecture. He knows his time is coming very soon. He won't be going into the promised land. He already knows that. And so he wants to be very specific about his words. And, and so he gives the last lecture, if you will. And, and he's speaking mostly to the children of the slaves that were uh, part of Egypt. Because most of them by this time had already died um, while, while they were wandering in the desert. And so in his speech, Moses reminds the people of Israel of God's faithfulness. Of, uh, of how good he has been to them. And then he urges them to continue to listen and obey God above all else. And then finally, he recaps every one of the laws that were given to them at Mount Sinai. At the top of the list is the law concerning the treatment of slaves. And we find this in Deuteronomy 15. And specifically, starts in verse 12 through 14. It says, if a fellow Israelite... A Hebrew man or woman is sold to you as a slave. Only make that person serve you for six years. In the seventh year, set him free from your service. And don't send him away destitute. Provide generously. Give sheep and goats, grain and wine. Give some of what the eternal, your God, has blessed you with. So, we'll pause there for now. When a person owe someone else money, and if the time they had agreed upon to pay up the debt, if that time came and went, and the person could not pay back his debt, then the person collecting was in his right to purchase the debtor or the, the non-payer as a slave. So this person would work for six years without uh, making any money, right? He was working to pay his debt, but only for the duration of six years and no longer. And at the end of the six years, the debt was forgiven and the slave was to be set free. And so here are the instructions on how to release that slave. And that one is found in verses 16 through 18. It says, don't feel you've been cheated when you set your slave free. It would have cost you twice as much of, to hire someone to do the same work over those six years. And he will bless you in everything that you do because of your generosity. Generosity. 
But perhaps your slave will say to you at the end of six years, I don't want to be set free. I love you. I love your whole family. It's really good for me to be here with you. So if this happens, you can accept a slave like this into lifetime service. And here's what you do. Perform a special ceremony to mark his new status. Have the slave stand right next to the door of your house, take an awl, this was a, a very sharp tool, and drive it through the slave's earlobe into the door. Then pull it out. Ouch. This will make marks in the earlobe and in the door that will symbolize the slave. Either a male or a female slave can enter lifetime service this way with this physical mark. So if at the end of this six years, the slave has work, he's, you know, paid his debt to his master, he is not getting any pay himself, and you would think that most slaves at this time are happy to be done, right? They're done they have completed their obligation and they're eager to move on to start fresh anew somewhere else. However, every once in a while, there would be a slave who had such a deep connection with his master or her that it would affect him in such a way that he could not fathom the thought of parting ways with his master. This slave would decide to give up his own freedom in order to serve his master for the rest of his life. So this decision suggested that nothing in this slave's uh, life was better or worth more to him than to work for his master. Nothing in this world could bring more satisfaction or more happiness. This decision was marked by piercing the slave's earlobe, which was a very painful ceremony. Anyone who's had any piercing can testify to how painful that is. So this was probably 10 times more painful than that. But the point was that everyone who saw this slave walking around would come to the realization that this slave's master was so gracious, so fair, so generous and caring, so compassionate, so good, that this person has chosen to give up his entire existence to give up his life in order to serve his master. This kind of slave was called a bond servant. The kind of slave who gives up everything, his life, his freedom, his wages, his future, all for the sake of serving his master. When Paul introduces himself in his letter to the Philippian church, he starts with this, Philippians 1, 1. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ. 
This was a typical greeting on behalf of Paul. He started many of his letters this way. One example is Romans. A slave to Christ is what he considered to be his identity, the reason for his existence. With just a few words, he paints the picture in his audience's mind that that is the kind of Christian, the kind of follower of Christ that he and Timothy have committed to be. The kind of Christian willing to give it all up for the sake of serving Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Paul, of course, is writing his letter from jail, so he's not just talking the talk, he is walking the talk. He is literally giving up his freedom, he is literally giving up his life, his will, for the sake of his master. Later in the letter, he warns the church to be watchful of those who come up with other ways of pleasing the master. He says, be very vigilant of people that tell you that rules, the things you wear, the ceremonies that you're part of, or that part of the country that you're from is the thing that pleases the master. Paul says, they will tell, they, they will tell you that it's circumcision is the only mark of a servant of God. But I say that's just physical mutilation. That's not the true mark of a servant of Christ. He says, you want to talk about self-righteousness? Let me tell you about all the proper check marks in my life. Philippians 3, 5 through 6, he says, circumcised on the eighth day? Check. Stock of Israel? Check. Tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews? Check and check. Regarding the law, I was a Pharisee. If you want to talk about passion and enthusiasm, I was the one that was persecuting the Christians. If you want to talk about righteousness, when it comes to the law, let's just say I'm blameless. But Paul is saying, humanly speaking, I should have earned righteousness by the law. But that is not what it's about. He discovered that that is not how one lives out his faith. That's not what living out your faith looks like. So all of that, he says, all of my earthly accomplishments, my personal triumphs, my achievements, all of that, he continues on verses 8 to 10, I have counted as rubbish, garbage, worthless, all so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So Paul says, if you really want to experience the power of God in your life, the kind of power that can bring the dead back to life, then this is where you find it. First, you give up all the confidence you have in your own accomplishments, for they cannot even compare 
to the greatness of God and his ability to rescue you. Trust your life to Jesus Christ, he says. Let the master take care of you. Let him lead you. Let him be the one to guide you. Let him be the one to save you. Live your life as a testimony of your faith in Jesus Christ and just stand in awe of the power of Christ in you. By earthly standards, Paul had so much to boast about. On paper, he was the perfect Christian, but as he began to know God personally, he realized that there was nothing in his life worth more than trusting his life to Jesus, the great master. The joy he felt in serving him made for an easy decision, Christ over everything else. Paul realized that all he had to do was to follow wherever the master sent him and trust him because he knew without a shadow of the doubt that God will supply all of his needs according to his riches in glory. So I ask today, what are you living for? Is it riches? Is it fame? Is it to climb the corporate ladder? Is it for the nicer house or the nicer car? What is the most important thing in your life? The one thing you cannot live without. Is it your faith in Jesus Christ? Is that the most important thing? What is it that you're living for? The popular group DC Talk was enjoying unprecedented success for a Christian group in the mid-90s, in the early mid-90s. Their albums were selling very well, and mainstream record companies were already beginning to take notice of them and, and wanted to start throwing hints about signing record deals and, and taking them mainstream. It was the code word. Even late night talk show hosts like Jay Leno and Arsenio Hall. Remember Arsenio? They were all excited about this group. Already had been invited to perform at their shows. They knew it was just a matter of time before they crossed over to the mainstream media and radio. This, of course, was exciting. It's every artist's dream, right, to cross over. As business conversations got more serious and record companies got more and more serious about pursuing them, the advice to tone down their Christianity kept coming through. Just dilute the message a little bit, not too much. Not too, I mean, you can still call yourself Christian if you want, but just dilute it a little bit, they kept telling them or advising them. Eventually, the conversations got stronger and stronger, and the advice kept coming in stronger. 
If you really want to make it out in the world, then you have to tone it down a little bit. It's the only way that you will connect with the market at large. It's the only way to do this. Toby Mag, the founder of the group and main songwriter, every conversation he had about this ended with this line. If or when we do crossover, we're gonna take the cross over with us. As the heat got stronger and the demand to tone it down, kept shouting in his head. He sat down to write the lyrics of, his ne of their next single. Kamikaze, my death is gain. I've been marked by my maker, a peculiar display. The high and lofty, they see me as weak, because I won't live and die for the power they seek. What will people think when they hear that I am a Jesus freak? What will people do when they find that it's true? I don't really care if they label me a Jesus freak. There ain't no disguising the truth. These words became the group's stake in the ground. Do what you must. This is who we are. And we are not changing. We are not budging. This is who we are. The song became their introduction to mainstream media. It achieved the highest first week sales of any Christian release in history. It earned a Grammy and it went double platinum in just a few months. This song, the group's declaration of dependence in Christ, changed the face of Christian music forever. Your testimony The way you live your life, your faith in Jesus Christ has the power to change the world. The power of resurrection found in Jesus Christ. The power of resurrection, the power of resurrection still found in Jesus Christ. That power is available to you as well and to me. What do you live for? Have you chosen to make the master your master, no matter what comes your way, whether success or whether failure? Is he the master of your life? Today we have a special anointing ceremony that we want to make available to you. The pastors and the elders are available today because we want to pray over this church. We want to pray that the power of Jesus Christ and the power of the resurrected can be found inside of us as well. 
And as we live out our lives in the world, that the world may see in us the power of Jesus and that our lives may be point, may point to him. 1 John 4, 4 says, the one who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. There is nothing in this world more powerful than Jesus Christ. There is nothing more powerful. And so today we have an opportunity to pray that that power will live inside of us so that we can live our lives in victory. He is greater than any of the circumstances you're facing. He is greater than any issue, any problems. He is greater than the marriage difficulty. He is greater than that thorn in your flesh. He is more, he is worth it. He is better. He is more powerful. And so I'm gonna invite the pastors to come forth and maybe we'll all just line up here and, and as we do, Anyone who would like to participate, I invite you to come to the front. And if you don't, that's okay. I invite you to pray for those who are making their way to the front. And let's pray together so that the power of God can be evident, not only in our church, but in our lives and everywhere we go.